Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, as I was... Uh Sharing this chart, I went past it. This is the mapping. If you want to map people, this is how it's done. This is the teaks. This is the. This is Bloom's taxonomy. This is um, because you have to identify the traditional person, the right and wrong thinking person. Because if you want world peace, you can't allow that mindset, that system, that paradigm, to be a part of policy. Uh, and of course. It's, it's an attitude that we care about these people. So you have to take them through the transition. That's self. Get to think about yourself. And, and you do this in a meeting, town hall meeting, where you're going to take a position against others in the, in the room that progressively are moved in sympathy to issues that you disagree with. And if you own a business in town, all of a sudden you're under pressure because you're going to lose customers. And uh, so you, you've got you, to learn trickery in your language. You're going to do that. You're going to start moving to opinions instead of keep holding your position. And it's all about literally, I call it, again, excommunication without writ. Nobody directly attacks you. Uh, you're just of no worth. And you could feel that happening to you while you're going through this process. In the workplace, doesn't matter where you are. Government, education, church. Uh, we, know, we know people in the church who have... Uh, uh, in a Bible church in Coeur d'Alene, there were those who were in the Bible, and they went to the leadership, and the leadership was doing this feely stuff, and, uh, you know, it's interesting, everybody we know that goes to the leadership that's doing this, they go with the text, and the leadership isn't interested in the text, uh, universally, and then you find out that once you take that position, in fact, you go to the leadership, you don't go to the congregation, you might share with a few people, but then the sermon is there's somebody in the congregation, some people here amongst us is causing dissension, and boy, it just neutralizes you, and then you, uh, with this one case that they, uh, eventually this Bible group, they're actually in the scriptures, they were called and then told not to show up for services because they were officially excommunicated, officially, not unofficially, and cards sent to the congregation, there would be no discussion. And so it was done. And this, you know, that's an exception to the rule, but uh, that's the outcome. That's the, if, if I can't convert you, then I'll remove you. Because your presence is causing dissension. See, you're a barrier to change. And you can get on Rick Warren's website and you can take the training on identifying resistors to change. And these traditional people are resistors to change. The is and not language is a resistance to change. And so your body language and your spoken word reveals which paradigm you're in. And your body language will reveal your, your desire to relate with others. It's your spoken word uh, that gets, usually gets in the trouble. So I've got to get your behavior or desire to relate with others in the forefront. I've got to get that moving in the room and then your language will follow. First silence and then, then you will say I feel or I think for the sake of the relationship. If you're an I feel and a think person, I hope you're miserable tomorrow.
You know? <laughs> You're going to clear up your language. I've had ministers do that. They'll get up and afterwards and they'll say, well, I, well, I really think this was, oh, man, I can't say think. Well, how did you all feel? Oh, man, I can't say feel. And I'd see him move from mush to a solid rock. I mean, it's, it's solid. There's no confusion. And we need to quit confusing the Word of God and present it as is. So Eve does it. Now, Eve was the first environmentalist. I'm serious. I am absolutely, if you look at system, she looks at the environment and decides that touching of the environment, the dopamines, he were drawn away by the lust of the flesh and enticed. Satan's there. The, every facilitator is a drug pusher. If you want to be a facilitator, study Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Because they're going to use the dopamine that we all want to move you from your position that interfered with the dopamine in the past. The love of pleasure. And so Eve then uh, hugs the tree. <laughs> She's a tree hugger, you know. She wants to touch it, and she, she eats of it, and she justifies it. And the, when she's justifying it, it's good for food, pleasing eyes to make one wise. If you look at what's happening, she's going, God, you don't make any sense. God doesn't make any sense. Like I said, there was nothing wrong with the tree. But see, they died because they changed their paradigm. There was physically nothing wrong with the tree. They died because God drove them out of the garden. They didn't have access to the tree of life. See, but God, that's how important this paradigm is. You will die outside of the paradigm of right and wrong. You have no hope. Now, Freud, he saw civilization as a primal horde. That's what he called it, or a primitive tribe. And it had a father figure and a, uh, a, a wife or a mother, and they have children, so she's a mother. And what happens is the children be, have, with all these senses, touch, taste, sight, smell, sound, uh, begin to relate with the mother in an in ancestral way. In other words, they don't know any better. They're just allowing their feelings to lead them. And, and the father sees this behavior, and he says this is polymorphously perverse. That's Freud. Polymorphously perverse. And so this is erotic behavior, and it's not within my standard. So what he does, because they keep doing this, he drives them out of the clan, out of the tribe. Well, if you follow the French Revolution, that's the tennis court oath. The, 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 the lawyers come to the directorate, or to the king, they haven't formed the directorate yet, but to the king, and the king has to call a general state for money reasons. And, and then he realizes, these guys are not here to represent the parishes. You know, all the petitions the parishes sent with them, they burnt. They, were, they weren't there to recognize the top-down system. They were going to get rid of the king. So he, he picks up on this. And so he drives them out, and they meet on a tennis court, and they come to a consensus to kill the king. Well, these, Freud does the same thing. He, he has these children. Now, he rejects a biblical history. This is Freud's history. A father, a wife, or a husband, a wife, and children. And the children that are kicked out come together and come back and kill the father. It's called patricide. You can't have psychology without patricide. All of psychology is to kill the father figure. In fact, Irvin Yalom says the foundation of psychology is patricide and incest. In other words, the touch, taste, sight, smell, sound, pleasure then becomes the agenda, the children with the, the mother. Mother represents Mother Earth, the environment. Now what happens is these children come back that kill the father. Then they realize that dad did serve and protect the clan. 
I mean, he fed them and he protected them from others coming around. So maybe we do need some rules. Maybe we can't all just relate with the environment and be nomads and whatever. You know, we need some order. So they reincorporate rules, and Freud considers this a neurosis of civilization because the rules now those at the top have, they can have access to the mother, and those who are below cannot have access to the mother, and so there's destabilized society. And we have Freud, have against the have-nots. And so Freud can't resolve this. He says, okay, if we get rid of those few now, it's not one at the top, it's the committee. But they have the rules now. If we get rid of them, then civilization will explode. Well, Freud said, I don't care, explode it. And uh, so these guys said, okay, now Lenin exploded civilization. What did that do? Five-year NEP program. That wasn't very smart. You should, you know, kill a lot of people. Maybe we can save them. Maybe we don't have to shoot them all. Uh, if we can talk those in leadership, parents, bosses, principled representatives, into sharing the same desires as those who have not. We all ought to have access, get the oughts out, finding the ought in the is. See, they, they call it the is-ought partnership. Because if we have an is-ought partnership, ought gets rid of not. So if I can find the ought in the parent and the ought in the child, then I just got rid of the parent's office. Now that's sort of mathematical, it's like algebra, but it works. You don't have to, you don't have to understand how it works, it just works. Uh, it's, it's us. It's just, you know, we're just waiting for somebody to cook us, you know, deceive us. Deception is pleasurable. You have to realize it. You take pleasure in deception because it's a group hug. <laughs> you know, people love it when you're deceived because, you know, they're deceived and they like the fellowship. Broad is a path. So what happens eventually is that Herbert Marcuse, this Marxist who merges Freud and Marx in Eros and Civilization, he, he realizes that, okay, Freud couldn't resolve this. And, uh, of course, Freud's individual identity for you and me is that, that we're all eros within us. We're all potential homosexuals and, les, you know, and, and lesbians and transvestites and whatever we want to be because, you know, I have a friend who works a Fortune 500 company. A man, uh, you know, thinks he was a woman and uh, went into a woman's restroom and a woman threw him out and she went to counseling. And the message was to everybody else, if you have a problem with this, you can go to counseling too, see. And so it's become, the Fortune 500 companies are all doing this process. And they're all following Freud. See, we're, we're all the same. Well, no, we're not. Now, in heaven, we're going to be all the same. There won't be male or female. We'll be as the angels. You know, but here, I came with this body. You know, men don't want to rule, by the way. They, they, they let the women make decision. If it fails, then it's not their fault. It's the woman's fault. And God says, no, it is your fault. And the desire of the heart of the wife is to the husband. And if she goes to herself, see, how can a husband rule in that environment? And that actually, I have a friend who's a detective with the San Diego Police Force. And he says, it's this domestic violence is out there as men are trying to restore this office. And they can't because the, the, the wife refuses and uh, then there's divorce and separation. The counselors are all sympathetic with tyranny, Christian included. Well, so the other hero for Freud isn't just, it's not just Orpheus, it is Narcissus. Narcissus is looking in the water, sees his face, falls in love with his face. Now, he's not in love with himself. There's something in nature that he's in love with. So there's Eros come, calling. 
See, there's eros in you wanting expression. That's little house on a prayer, you know, Laura's running down the hill, you know, just enjoying life. And we all say, that's great. I love that. You can bond with that. But if mom had come out and said, Laura, come into the house, and she kept going down the hill enjoying the day, we got a problem. Well, Freud said the problem would be the mom. See, the problem isn't the child disobeying because, because our true nature is eros. And so, now how can I resolve this? Because eros in nature calling has laws, because laws of nature. So he couldn't resolve it. These guys went to Kant. Kant was a liar. Because he elevated critique of pure reason. He brought reasoning clear up here. And he says reasoning is equal with faith, but you know, I'm not going to bring two together because I believe in faith. Well, no, you cannot have faith if you bring reasoning up to this level. Because our reasoning will always tie us to the creation. Eve was using reasoning, and it always ties you to the creation. Uh, you know, human reasoning. So what happens is that as uh, Eve is justifying her feelings, because that's all we can do. You know, you're justifying the relationship with something you want to relate with that you're not supposed to. With Freud or Kant, here's how it works. He says, hope. What, is, what do you hope in? Happiness. Isn't that true? You agree with that? We hope in happiness. Happiness is pleasure. And pleasure is in the brain. See, I can't, I can't feel your happiness. That's illusionary. But if I see you happy, uh, my memory, you remember dopamine, your awareness, muscles, everything else, I can remember uh, others having, and I can remember being happy and smiling too, and I can watch you being happy, and all of a sudden I got dopamine flowing. So the environment stimulated. And these guys actually went to the, they knew a town hall meeting would be a lot of people coming in, you know, frowning because you're going to hold your position and, you know, it's going to be a battle. If these facilitators could come in with three or four of them together smiling, it would have a direct effect on everybody else in the room. They took, just by doing that alone, they would take over control of the room. It's just, it's our craft, you know. It's just, if you were standing up presenting facts, all they had to do was drop a book, go get coffee, and it completely broke the, the attention of everybody in the room. They're just books on this stuff. And so, now, if, if pleasure is the ultimate end in life, then it doesn't, it's not just, see, with the transition, this, this middle zone is adultery. You adulterate the Word of God. You still have the Word of God, but you adulterate it. You mingle it. But on the other side is you cut and paste and rearrange it and amalgamate it. See, you actually synthesize the Word of God. That's what makes this stuff, liberation theology is very painful to look at because there's so many elements in it that you and I would agree. You know, rat poison is only, what, 0.05% poison. And it's so embedded that it takes forever. John, John 3, third, chapter, you know, third book of John, he talks about a man, he, he names a name. You know, don't name names. Well, John did it. Shame on John. Uh, well, he says this man is taking over control of the church and that he is producing these statements. Um, I'm trying to think of the verse right now. But there's a four-word statement in, in, or descriptive. Pratting is the one word. Malicious pratting. And what that is, is if you look at the Greek, what that is, is somebody makes a statement that would take you an hour and a half to defend yourself. You ever been there? See, and so nobody's going to listen to you for an hour and a half to defend yourself. And that's how this process works. It's malicious pratting. And so the, now how do we bring this together is art. 
the aesthetic dimension. So I, as an artist, I would have eros. I want, you know, I put a, the rules. I had have a piece of canvas and I would follow the rules and produce the dopamine, you know, with lines. It's, it's out here, transcendent. It's environmental. It's out here. And then you come and you see the art and it stimulates dopamine in you. So you, my dopamine, your dopamine, your eros, my eros are united in the moment. Well, that's what the odds are your autobies, you see. And I get everybody to share their autobies. You don't want to. Because you refuse to, because you keep holding your position, you don't sacrifice your cannot, must not, thou shalt not. I have a problem with you because you're going to bring the conscience into the room and I can't do the process. So I really put pressure on you. And by the way, if you force me to clearly define my terms, say, what do you mean? I have to stay ambiguous. I have to stay on both sides of the fence because if I choose one or the other, then we have the old traditional right-wrong paradigm. So I stay ambiguous and I will turn to you and I say, well, what do you think I mean? <laughs> no, no, no. I, no, I want to know what you mean. And I'll turn to somebody else and say, well, can you explain? You know, so I am going to divert because I don't want to clearly define terms because that causes division. Because I want to focus on arrows. I want to focus on the autobies, not limitations. And as we then look at this art, this common art, we're, this is a piece of artwork. We then find through dialogue this common issue after the pressure of putting all the other side, and we have this euphoric moment, aesthetic dimension. And so we've gone to man becoming the agenda. What do we all have in common is eros, eros and civilization. So you have to put eros in the workplace now. You say, well, how people get work done? Well, eros is you do whatever you want to do. And if the boss tells you, you know, that, you know, your behavior is wrong, he can't fire you. See, I have a friend who worked for Xerox, and guy kept coming in late, 10 o'clock, every day. He couldn't fire him. In fact, if he hurt the guy's feelings, that he knew his paycheck was based upon because everybody had input about how well the, he was working. And so all of a sudden, why do you work? These, these are friends of mine that I'm meeting all over the nation that are frustrated in the workplace. Why, why do you produce anymore when it doesn't really matter? We looked at the Soviet system. We said, stupidest form of business on the face of the earth, and here we are doing it. We're making gadgets that don't last. That's okay. You know, you can take it back, and by the time you take it back, we actually got it working, maybe. Uh, the, the Six Sigma, have you heard of Six Sigma? No, this is the madness that these workers are having to feel. Six Sigma is you have a bell curve system, and you come out one mark, two marks, three marks, six Sigma. This is one, two, three on this side, one, so it's six. And that means if you, we're not striving for perfection, but we're striving to produce a product that is within budget and, you know, productability. So now you take this to the military, and you have a thousand rifles, and you know that a certain percentage are acceptable for not working. So you happen to be on the battlefield and you pick up the Six Sigma gun and it doesn't work, welcome to the Six Sigma. See, it sounds good with, uh, with the you know, bean counting, but when you get to the reality, there is a price to pay with the Six Sigma. Uh, because it's all focusing on what we can work together to get, you know, we're, we're, it all ties down to resources, trying to keep the resources at a certain level and the budget at a certain level. But I have a friend who works for... Uh, a Fortune 500 company builds cruise missiles and he goes into all this stuff and he fights this stuff all the time. Um, but uh, getting back, the whole thing is about eros, bringing it in. And it's, uh, that's what unites man, is eros. 
the dopamine, the pleasure. Um, so we've moved over to the transformation. People ask me, well, where are we? I say, how far into the abyss do you need to go to know that's where you're going? Uh, the infrastructure is gone. We've got 30 million kids all the way over into the transformational. And when you see them there on those little dopamine-stipulated boxes, they're just going through the hippocampus. See, you put the law of God on the frontal cortex, see, up here. You memorize it. Uh, you know, and you start to explain facts to the youth today, or even the 50-year-olds down, uh, you know, they can't layer. They can't, you know, you, you can't keep them to where they get enough facts. Now, the older generation, I'd even speak to 80-year-olds, and they'd, they would look at me like, what in the world? This is strange stuff. But they could pile five or six facts on top of one another. They'd exercise the muscle. They could keep it up there. wouldn't slide off, you know, or disappear. And then after a while, they could put it together and say, oh, yeah, now I see. Never even experienced it. They just, you know, they could reason it out. But the kids today, they have an exercise. It's like, you know, exercising. You've got to exercise this muscle up here. You ought to get the McGuffey, or excuse me, uh, the Palmer Method. Penmanship, remember that beautiful penmanship? Wow. Half a year, a whole year of rules. And you had better follow the rules. This will not, and they remind you over and over, you will not accomplish this unless you do the rules. You've got to do the rules. The third graders are take their left hand and slap their right hand. Get yourself under control. They're actually practicing the role of a parent to themselves in the classroom. You can see why they had to get rid of the Palmer method. Absolutely didactic. And so Ruth Elson out of the University of Nebraska, she spent five, she, she spent her life going through 5,000 textbooks removing patriarchal didactic information. See, George Washington used to be in there, you know, as a uh, patriarchal figure. No, not anymore, you know, wood teeth, rotten, you know, mock and ridicule and put in Marilyn Monroe and anything else for the dopamine. Catcher in the rye, see. Uh, evil book. Well, Reagan was shot because a guy liked Catcher in the Rye. That's all about. And by the way, Freud also believed that suicide was okay. There, there, there's a life against death. There's a natural quest for death as well. I, I disagree. You know, I'm going to fight till the day I die. You know, this, I, I, you know, there's a natural tendency for us. God put it within us. We hate death. But now you die with dignity. <laughs> You know, well, bedside manners will make sure you feel good. You take an elderly person and you give them morphine, you're taking them out. There are effects to it. And so it's no longer this uh, life is important. You know, you, the unplugging of life, the not support of life, whether it's in the womb or whether it's elderly. Uh, and this the hardship of these guys, the hard-hearted. You look at all the kids. The young people went to college, got on drugs. Because that was all out of this. this the, the whole drug culture is out of this dialectical process. Discover for yourself. So I was raised on a farm. We had marijuana. It grows out there. It's like a weed, you know. I never stood in the smoke. <laughs> I knew better. But the kids in college, they just go out there. Well, you know, here's how it did in psychology. You're made of chemicals. You drink orange juice, and that's just chemicals. And you need to be able to do whatever you want. Well, that's a formula for take drugs. Experiment. And I saw those students I was with change within just weeks, going out there experimenting, being their own person, and letting the dopamine, the pleasures of this life, control them. But the consequence of that is, if you don't get control over this body, it controls you.
And so we've moved through the transition of the flesh over to the justifying of the flesh. Now you go to Revelation 17. The matriarch is the harlot. See, the harlot is the needs of men. <laughs> it's the felt Maslow's hierarchy of felt needs. That's important. Physiological, self-esteem, self-actualization. What that is, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They just don't tell you that. Because <laughs> the scriptures are insignificant, but man's nature is our foundation. And so the harlot then gives power to the beast. The beast, notice the beast emerges. Ah, emergent church. I'm serious. Because, you see, when the church and the government, you see church growth, Rick Warren's go-between between the powers in Washington, the White House, and him, is Kenneth Benet, who supposedly is a Christian, who's fully involved in Eastern religion. And so, I mean, there's, there's a whole network being developed. It's a global. And Christians are holding hands with the world. Well, when the church, doing the dialectic, unites with the state doing the dialectic, the church becomes the harlot, and the state becomes the beast. And the church will use the state. See, the power isn't in the church, it's in God, but the state has the power. All authority is of God. Now, Romans, excuse me, Romans 13 says, yield to the higher power, incorrect. I'm King, I use King James, but there, King, that was politics. Because if you say, yield to the higher authority, then you don't have to do what King James tells you to do. You, know, you wouldn't have to do what Hitler told you to do. But if you yield to the higher power, then you have to do. Because power is in the king, and you have to yield to the power. And so what, if Hitler told you to kill a Jew, you'd go kill a Jew. And so all you have to do is get strongs and do a little Bible study and you'll find out authority isn't it, power is in man. So the state has the power. The state can take my body. But the state has no right over my soul. What the state has done, because it is united with the church, the church deals with the soul. It's the message to the soul. When you have that unity, then they're going after the soul. And that's God's domain, not man's. And, and this process cannot save the soul. The only process, the only thing this process can do is to kill the soul. Destroy the soul. So, uh, you know, if you fly fish, um, you know, the, the, the nymph flies around, or in the water, you know, doesn't fly, but moves around, gets away from the fish. When it gets out of the water, it's mature enough, then it uh, can fly as a dun. You know, the fish might jump up and try to get it. And when it, uh, then it becomes an adult, comes back as a spinner, mates, and, and dies. Well, then when it's dead, the fish can do whatever it wants. But uh, most of the time of that bug is trying to stay away from being somebody's meal. But there's a stage where it gets to the surface between the larva and the dun, and it's waiting for its wings to dry out. It's absolutely helpless. It can't fly and it can't swim. That state is known as the emergent state. And so I see people in this process literally because they're confused. They're confused. You can't go one way or the other. You know, you start with conscience, conscience, which is right and wrong. Two plus two is four, cannot be any other number. And how do you get to consensus, which is just 
eros, united. You have to go through confusion. You're fusing too. You're fusing the spiritual and the flesh. And God won't hear of it. See, and so it's, it's confusion what's going on. And you can sense that. You're in a meeting and there's confusion. And the Holy Spirit gives you discernment saying something's wrong here. Do you realize, you know what your answer is? If, if, if somebody's doing this process in the church, not in the world, you're going to expect it. Shouldn't be. Because all authority is God, and even we used to have Ten Commandments, you know, even in the public, and there was a reason for that, because they recognize all authority is of God. But remove that. Now, if you're in this environment, and you discern that something is wrong, you know what you need to do? Stand up and say, something's wrong. And people will say, well, what is it? Well, I don't know, but something's wrong. That's it. And you, you would pray that somebody else who had discernment would stand up and say, well, there's something wrong. If two or three, if I was doing this and I had this size of group and I was facilitating you and two or three of you stood up and said something's wrong, I'm going to have to close the meeting because we can't do the worship of men. I realize it's hopeless. Because there are those who are actually going to force me to seek for truth and I don't want truth. So, you know, this stuff, this book, Human Relations and Curriculum Change, this cookbook on humans, everything we're doing is in this one book. Um, Warren Bennis then wrote a book, The Planning of Change, three times 80% of the material in each book was different. In 1967, he worked out every sentence that you would say to me to try to persuade everybody else in the room that what I was doing was wrong, there was something you know, going on here. And in that book then, he shows the sentence that I would use in response to you, not to counter you, but to neutralize the effect that your statement made on everybody else in the room. 1967. See, so I'm frustrated what I can't share here today. Uh, and get on my website, you know, I'll torment you. Because <laughs> I put the training lab material and, uh, and all of this stuff, see. It's all, but, but all of it, it's amazing, all of it, sum it up. The dialectical process is a circumventing of parental authority. There's no other purpose. For the last hundred years, John Dewey on, that's been the whole agenda. And if you can destroy the parental authority, you negate the Constitution. Because you negate, see, a moral and religious society. And it becomes a piece of paper, and you can go to a global society. Now, you have to work this on economics, and we're rapidly moving there, where, you know, when dad has money, the kids can't do anything without dad's approval. And now the government comes in, takes the money out of the dad's pocket, and gives it to the kids. It's a welfare state. See, why, why would you, if you give your children all that they want, they're not going to leave home. If you leave them alone, if you don't lecture to them. See, one of, my, one of my siblings did some things I totally disagree with. And she said, well, Dad, you know, I said, call me. She said, Dad, I don't want to call you. Every time I call you, you lecture me. I said, that's my right. I mean, I as a father am going to lecture you. I love you. God lectures us. <laughs> you notice that? He chastens and rebukes. It's not because he hates us, he loves us. He wants us to do what's right. And so she understands that. She still doesn't call. I wish she would, because I love her.
But uh, we, we are dialectic. Um, you know, I've met the enemy, it is I. I spend time, you know, you struggle with it, you spend time trying to figure out, okay, what do I do here, what do I do there? And most of my time now, though, I've learned, and you know, I even go into the store. I'll say, Lord, what do you want? What do you want, what do you want me to buy? I already have the shopping list. Do I really need it? You know, is it dopamine? Is it something that I, you know, just because it was out there, everybody else has it, or do I really want it? Or is it really what you want? And we need to do that. We need to weigh before the Lord everything that we do in our life. It'll, it'll cut out the slavery and the dependence that we have to things in this world. So just, I, I, I'm like a child in a candy store. When I open up the scriptures, there it is. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Everybody who moves away from God justifies. Ten spies. You know, they justified. Uh, and, and God has simply called us to be children, obedient children. That's all he wants us to do. Is just daily turn to him. And it's a, it's a struggle. You know, because he doesn't give you answer. A lot of times, he just doesn't tell you. He, he wants, you know, he's going to wait for you to knock. You know, keep knocking. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. And in all of that, what he's doing, he's getting you to get yourself under control. I, you know, I, maybe I, I don't want to overdo this dopamine thing, but boy, isn't that us? And it is our nature to get up in the morning and just look for happy hour. <laughs> And the, on all these mega churches out there, they're giving it. These, these people are on a drug. They are literally intoxicated. And like I said earlier, how do you t talk to a drug addict? How, how, do you, how do you talk them out of the candy? <laughs> you need to put the candy aside. Oh, no. You know, Jesus gave me this candy. You know, I call them white-knuckle Christians. God blesses you, and before long, you're white -knuckle. God's taking it away. No, it's the devil doing it. No, it's God. <laughs> and you find this. I'll give you an example of this. Here's Philip, serving the Lord, and, you know, met Jesus again, and, you know, the, he's, he's resurrected, or, you know, he's appeared to the disciples, and then God tells him to go into the desert. That's all he's been given instruction to do. Now, all the other disciples are going off on great mission trips, and God just tells Philip, go to the desert. Oh, there's no dopamine out there. <laughs> so he goes to the desert. And as he's walking, he sees this guy in a chariot, uh, a eunuch. And he goes over to him, and, the, and, the, and the, you know, the guy asks him, you know, what, what does this, he sees him reading scripture. And he says, you want me to explain? And he explains it. Isn't it amazing? In the scripture the man is reading is about a eunuch who's, ask, who's asking God for direction. I mean, of all the scriptures he's reading, and he realizes when Philip is explaining that to him, it's him. Right there in scripture. That is a man, one man, who goes back to Ethiopia. And that whole nation is affected by that one man. And it's just simply because God sent Philip into a non-dopamine world. Just obey me. Because see, when you confront what's going on out here, that's not dopamine. But there's a the joy of the Lord. And the reaction, and if you get beat up, there's still a joy of the Lord. Now, if your house burns down and you're happy, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Better check it out. <laughs> or have the fire marshal in there. Uh, but if you have joy, joy of the Lord, that's spirit. 
And that's what we need in this life. If you're looking this way, uh, you're going to get depressed. Depression is carrying more than God's called you to carry. But if you're walking, looking this way, weighing everything in your life from God's direction, uh, you will have joy. Now, I grieve. I get really sober. Sometimes when I stay with my host, I have to apologize because I'm really not great company. Because I grieve. Because it's grievous to talk to people you love and they won't listen. There's nothing more grievous than that. And Jesus was acquainted with grief. But he's called us. See, he despises the shame of the cross. Shaming is a people thing. They use the word shaming in the Soviet system. We're hearing all the terms that I, that I read the Soviet system. And all of a sudden here, Clinton goes hoardy. And I'm going, oh, I just, my skin crawled. And we're going to hear it again. You know, and, and so all this verbiage, this shaming, Jesus despised the shame of the cross. And you despise the shame of the cross. It's painful. It hurts. But he endured. This is a, this is a word of endurance. Endure to the end. See, you're a POW in your own land. See, they're, they're beating you up, not physically. These guys came in and did it by excommunication. Nobody's talking to you. And what I'm sharing here is to encourage you. If you're doing what's right before the Lord, keep doing it. Don't let man talk you out. Don't let Satan talk you out of God's blessing. You put on that whole armor of God. That's property, by the way, and stand. You can't stand, stand on no, you know, nothing. You're standing on God's property. Adam and Eve were standing on God's property. We have no property. It is his. And all the devil can do, devil can never take God's property away from you. He can't come in and do anything to you. But he can get you to dialogue. And the moment you dialogue with him, you abdicate the property. There's no dialogue with the world. See, this is why the ministers, the ministers alliance, and all these ministries are going in and dialoguing the word of God. And it's powerless. They have no power, but they can get people. Because you know, it's a uh, sheep, you know, sheep, lost sheep. You know, when sheep get lost, you know what they're doing? They're nibbling over the hill. They're chasing dopamine. <laughs> they're not looking around to see where they are in reference. Where's the master? Where's the shepherd? Where are the shepherds? The shepherds are the one whose congregation is usually getting smaller and smaller and smaller today because they're preaching and teaching the Word of God. And every Sunday before they get up, Saturday night, you know, they're going before the Lord on what to share. And, and, and Sunday morning they're going, Lord, are you really sure? They won't do this, not a godly minister. But, you know, this saying of, man, that message I shared last week, we had three mem members left, and they were mad at me, and, boy, Lord, you have me share this one, there goes a few more. I, sh I shared in El Paso, and, and uh, the, the next year we came by, and I said, were you going to meet? And he said, sure. And uh, we met in his home. I said, why didn't we meet in the fellowship? He says, well, you know, we met in the fellowship, and it was a smaller congregation, 85 members, and, and that night when I shared, boy, it was uh, border guards came up, didn't understand sovereignty, and they were dialectic. I mean, they, there were a lot of people in that church that were very processed, and I'm, I was thinking, this guy's got some problems. Well, he said, well, you know, after you spoke, um, uh, most of our congregation left. <laughs> well, that's not good. You know, I didn't come to do that. And he said, no, that's good. He says, I love them, but see, I watched them. They all went to the feely-feely places. They didn't like the truth because we got rid of the youth department. We, we put the children next to mom and dad and they learned to sit and got off the dopamine and listened to the word of God. And uh, boy, that cost. That cost him. He says, it, you know, I had to go back to work. I didn't have enough support. 
But a uh, year later, then, he's, he's got his support, the fellowship. Is, he said, I wasn't babysitting anymore. Now he's going into Mexico preparing other ministers for ministry. And this is happening across the country. You know, there, there are those who refuse to bend their knee and say, this is what the Word of God says. You know, I love you, you know, and I pray you love me, but here's what God's Word says. And if you, if you want to curse your children, you move your walls. If you want to curse your children, you move away from the standards. The homeschool convention, like I said, one of the speakers, his pre, his one article he wrote is uh, the curse of the standard bearer. Dad, you just got these rules that are interfering with the relationship with your children. Get rid of the rules. And he's a speaker at a homeschool convention. This month, several of them, Denver, next month in Chicago. Agenda to destroy the home. See, and so Satan just came, came along to Adam and Eve and says, you know what, the standards are just too hard to meet. You know, think for yourself. But like I said earlier, I'm daddy's boy. I run to dad. When the devil picks on me, that's where I go, to dad. That's what Jesus did. He went to his father. And I'm encouraging you to go before him. And know he's a loving father. He cares about you. You're, God is not hung up on America. He really doesn't care what happens if this nation goes down. He's hung up on you. He raises nations up and he brings nations down. And what, you know how he's determining what to do with this nation? He's looking at you. See, that's what he's doing. He's looking at you. Looking into your heart. Where's your treasure? What's he seeing in your rooms? Things of this world? Or are you trusting in him with all your heart? leaning not to your own understanding. In all your ways, you're acknowledging Him. And He's the one who directs your path. It's really simple. Simplicity of the gospel. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.